0: Health at Every Size decenters weight. It says that we should pursue health not because we want to lose or gain or be a certain weight or look a certain way. It's a weight neutral approach to health, shifting away from the previous weight focused ideals of almost every uh, health program. It promotes the respect and acceptance of diversity in one's shape and size, knowing that health is not determined by our weight and our body size. Welcome to the Empowered Spirituality Podcast. Join me, your host, Samantha Nagel, a certified integrative nutrition health coach, poet, witch, and work in progress for grounding meditations, inspiring interviews, and reflections about spirituality, holistic health, and the world around us. Join in every Thursday as we explore what empowered spirituality means to us in today's world. Hello, and welcome to another solo episode of the Empowered Spirituality podcast. Um, I'm really excited for this episode. I actually got the idea for this this weekend. Um, Someone was asking me about some health coaching stuff, like someone in my life, um, and like my opinions on things, especially my opinions on weight um, and counting calories. Um, And I got really passionate (laughs) when I gave my opinions. um, And I thought, oh, you know what? This would actually be a great um, episode of the podcast, Um, So in this episode, I am going to unpack health at every size. You may have noticed on my website or on my um, Instagram, social media feeds, I have it listed that I am H-A-E-S aligned, which means health at every size aligned. Um, And that can be kind of intuitive when you hear those words, right? Like you probably know the gist of what that means, but you may not know exactly what that means. And there is a little bit of There are misconceptions around this. And it's also, weirdly enough, kind of a controversial way to approach health, even though it really should not be. Um, But I'm going to go into explaining what that is, um, as well as how I incorporate that into the way that I view health. I'm also going to touch on the BMI, or the Body body Mass Index, (laughs) um, and why it's BS. and talk about ways that we can approach health in a way that's not diet or weight focused. Um, if this will be triggering for you at all, and go ahead and skip this episode, I, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> right? But I don't intend on it to be triggering. I intend for it to be empowering and opening a new perspective in a way, I mean, it's not new, I didn't come up with it, but a newer perspective on a way that we typically view health and weight um, But if the topic of weight, like, because I will be talking about it, even though I don't necessarily agree with it, um, if that would be triggering for you, maybe you go ahead and skip this episode. Honor your boundaries, please, at all times. Um, All right, let's let's hop in and get started. So most health coaches, and this is even something I experienced during my training, which I didn't love. Um, I loved everything else about it, though is that most health coaches or nutritionists or regular coaches, like fitness coaches, um, will focus on weight loss. Even if it's not a main goal, it usually is something that's incorporated. And most people who seek out um, a coach or a nutritionist or something like that, or dietitian, um, is going to want to lose weight, right? Um, And that's, something that I don't typically focus on, right? So I think weight loss is a fine goal. Um, It is fine to focus on that. I'm not shaming anyone who is on a weight loss journey. Um, Sometimes losing weight is a healthy thing for someone to do. Other times it's not. Um, I think it's maybe the approach that I go with it's a bit different. Right. So I'm not going to say that someone can't lose weight while working with me or can't pursue weight loss as a secondary or like extracurricular goal, right? Um, Absolutely not. Um, But I don't like to approach health through the terms of or through the lens of weight and weight loss. Um, Because and again, it's not that losing weight is bad, um, or like not a good goal to have. um, But the way that we get there is often very unhealthy, right? So the standard way is probably counting your calories. um, And maybe you just do like the standard counting calories, or maybe you also pick up a diet, right? And so there are so many diets out there that maybe you even have tried yourself if you're listening. Um, So in addition to dieting, counting calories, perhaps you're also adding in exercise and also counting the calories that you burned through exercise, as well as weighing yourself either daily or weekly and charting your progress. One thing I don't like about that just from the top of my head is if you have a menstrual cycle, your weight is going to fluctuate every week of the month, right? So luteal phase, premenstrual phase, maybe even menstrual phase, you might be holding on to some extra weight. So a little bit of water weight, bloating. You're also more hungry. You're craving heavier, denser foods at this time. So you may add a little bit of weight. You may typically be a couple... Like a little bit less weight um when you're like inner spring and in ovulation time or pre-ovulation time is inner spring. So right there, that's already like going to put your weight up and down just a little bit. And just a little bit is not something we would typically notice, but when we are weighing ourselves daily or weekly, we notice those small pound fluctuations. And I know for myself, I am someone who used to weigh myself daily and or weekly. Um and it would The quality of my mood and my day and my worth, honestly, was very much dictated by what I looked like or like the results I got from weighing myself. Um, So if I had like dropped a couple pounds, my mood would go up. If I had gained a couple, I would feel really down that day, right? And that's really not fair. It's not a fair thing to do for ourselves because we gain and lose weight, whether it's our menstrual cycle or not, we gain and lose weight daily, hourly, right? Where our weight is constantly changing and fluctuating. And when we start to weigh ourselves um, very consistently like that, we see those ups and downs and we think that it's inherently something that we are doing. So I'm not necessarily saying to never weigh ourselves, um, but I never weigh myself. Uh, I mean, well, (laughs) I've, I've like maybe... I don't know if relapse is the right word, but kind of I've like broken and um, decided to weigh myself and it's never made me feel good. It's never made me feel good. A lot of the times I'll think, oh, like it looks like I have lost weight. I'm going to weigh myself, see if I have. And then I am very disappointed. Um, and it's so interesting how your body image can change, right? Like just with the knowledge of a number on the scale, my body, how I view my body drastically changes. Whereas five minutes ago, I thought I looked great. I thought I looked whatever. And then knowing that number, all of a sudden I think I don't look great anymore. Which is heartbreaking too. It's heartbreaking. And even if you do want to lose weight, right? This is not the way to go. This is not the way to go because weight loss shouldn't be driven by this like need this everyday daily desire to lose weight right it becomes obsessive it can easily go into eating disorder territory disordered eating territory um disordered like exercise territory right um but it Even if it doesn't go to that extent, it often brings in a sense of deep shame. And whenever we operate from a place of shame or fear or hatred, um, our results just aren't the same. And even if the results are what we want, the energy behind that is one of shame and fear. And so we're never satisfied, right? And also, like that being said, wait is different for everybody. And this is where health at every size comes in. That, you know, for example, someone who's very small, very petite, may not be healthy. And someone who is larger or has extra like circumference, I don't know what to say, um, might be very healthy. And oftentimes, oh, people will go into the doctor, and this is especially for women and people of color, Um, they'll go into the doctor and they're very often dismissed, especially if they're fat. So oftentimes a a person will go in with serious health conditions that may not be caused by their weight, but a doctor will often look at them and go, oh, you're overweight. You need to lose weight. Come back and see me when you've lost weight. And there are so many times where real health conditions that are not in any way linked to weight are ignored and or sometimes health conditions cause extra weight gain. And those are also ignored because people, especially women and people of color, are dismissed when they go above a certain size, which is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking and it's not fair and it's racist and it's sexist um and that's part of um what I'm going to talk about with the BMI as well so let me explain what haes is health at every size health at every size decenters weight it says that we should pursue health not because we want to lose or gain or be a certain weight or look a certain way it's a weight neutral approach to health shifting away from the previous weight focused ideals of almost every uh, health program. It promotes the respect and acceptance of diversity in one's shape and size, knowing that health is not determined by our weight and our body size. Like I said previously, weight is just not a good indicator of health. Um, It could be an indicator of health, but health at every size is weight neutral. Like it says, it doesn't focus on weight the same way that so many other programs do. Um, So there are five main principles of health at every size, which is weight inclusivity is the first one, accepting differences in diversity in body shapes. And why this is important too, is because people of many different backgrounds, races, ethnicities are different sizes, right? the way that one person from one part of the world looks may be different than a person from another part of the world. People have different genetic makeups, people have different lifestyles, um, and that all plays a, p- like a part in our body shapes and expecting someone to look just like everyone else, just like the standard like health figure that we have in our head, which is based on white men from certain parts of the world, is racist and is colonialized, right? So this idea of centering weight in our health um, comes from colonialism, comes from white supremacy, comes from sexism. Um, It's not just like fat phobia is rooted in so much more than just fat phobia, right? The second principle is health enhancement. So this means paying attention to not only the physical health, but also the mental, spiritual, and economic health of the individual. So also holistic health, right? This is also really important because let's say someone does get their weight to the place where their doctor recommends or, and I'm also not like negating your doctor at all, but uh, like gets to the point of the BMI that's quote unquote healthy or normal well, what if they use shame and fear and self-hatred to get there, right? Is that health? Is that mental health? Is that emotional health? No, it's not, right? And also focusing on things like economic health also focuses on the pay disparity and also like the health barriers that exist. Like, why is healthy food very often more expensive than cheap, perhaps like quote unquote unhealthy food? Although I don't believe any food is inherently good or bad, but I think you get my message. The third is respectful care, advocates for weight inclusivity and fighting stigmas. The next is eating for well-being. So this focuses on becoming an intuitive eater by getting rid of diet culture, food rules. So that's another thing about the diet culture world or um, like that kind of quote unquote traditional uh, aspect of health and dieting um, is that we are not taught to listen to our bodies. All of our bodies are unique and individual Um, Where I went to school at IIN, Institute of Integrative Nutrition, Um, they really focus on bio-individuality. And bioindividuality really just means that we are all individual people with individual landscapes and makeups of our body. We have unique needs. Some foods go really well with our body, some don't, right? We could have food allergies or sensitivities, or just foods that don't make us feel our best. But some of the foods that don't make us feel our best make other people feel and operate amazingly. There are some foods that give us mental clarity that might give someone else brain fog. There are some foods that nourish our exercise plan and others that really hinder others, right? So we're all individual people, which means that a mass diet will not work for every person because every person is different. And every person, not only is their body different right? Their chemical makeups are different. Their emotions are different. Maybe they have histories of disorders and diseases that other people don't have. So they need to be eating more specifically to their body. And that's like a lot of information, right? When I learned about bioindividuality, I was like, oh my God, like, how do I do that? (laughs) That's like a really big ask, right? To find out what exactly my body needs. Um, But we can get there, through intuitive eating, which is really just connecting with our body and kind of de-centering not only weight, but the mind as well, the analytical mind, and starting to focus on the parts of our body that are calling to us, speaking to us. If you've ever worked with me or done some of my meditations, you know that we do a lot of work with listening into the body and asking the body what it needs instead of like kind of telling the body what it needs. And the last principle is life enhancing movement, becoming involved in forms of movement and exercise that makes one feel good. So this is also like intuitive movement, right? And I've said this so much about the menstrual cycle. We're often told to just work out the same every single week. So let's say running every single week. Well, if you do have a menstrual cycle, running on your period week This may be good for you, right? This is like bioindividuality all over again. That may be really, really nourishing and healthy and wonderful for you. But for lots of people, intense running exercises on the bleeding week is not so nourishing and not so helpful, right? But if we try and push ourselves to be the exact same every single week, every single day, um, we're pushing ourselves and maybe even creating strain and injury and not enough rest, which can you know, go on to damage our hormones, our overall, overall health, our physical health can lead to injuries, right? Heavy periods, so many things. Um, but when we can listen to what our bodies really need, uh, and this is for everyone, not just those with a menstrual cycle, when we can listen to what our body really needs, um, we can move in a way that actually makes us feel good. Something I've talked about as well is changing exercise to movement, first of all, I feel that using the word movement often just feels so much better and lighter than exercise, but also changing movement to movement that feels good versus movement that's punitive. So oftentimes, and I'll catch myself still doing this. So like, please, I'm not trying to shame you if this is the way that you're thinking, but oftentimes I think I want to lose weight. So I need to burn like X amount of calories when I'm working out or I've eaten this amount of calories and I have to burn those off. So that's very punitive. Or even I haven't been to the gym in a while, so I should really go hard this time. That's punitive. You're punishing yourself for what you've eaten, what you've done, the lack of movement that you've done before this, and you're punishing yourself by movement. So the intention that you're setting for that exercise is not for you to feel good It's for you to punish yourself. That's telling yourself that you're wrong and that you're bad. And our attention really does matter, right? And that also goes for food as well. If you're only eating green smoothies and salads and lean chicken and whatever, which is not bad, right? But if you're eating those like traditional healthy things, quote unquote healthy things, um, or like doing your diet from a way that's punitive. So I'm eating this because I need to lose weight. I need to lose weight because I'm bad, right? That's punitive. So you're ingesting food with an energy that's not helpful or nourishing or loving. And I really do believe that the intention that we put out does come back to us, right? And that's like a little bit witchy, a little bit woo-woo, but also really not. It's been proven that our intention really does impact things the energy that we bring to things really does matter and really does impact the results. So if we can go into movement thinking, I I want to move my body. I want to move around energy. I want to feel good at the end of this. I want to protect my body's joints and grow my muscles. And I want to feel mental clarity and mental ease and happiness and joy, right? Then our movement, is going to be that much more enriching, that much more fulfilling. And it's also okay to have like aesthetic goals too. I think I shared this in um, a couple, maybe a month ago or so. Like I have some aesthetic goals I have in mind. Like I would really like my body to look a certain way at times. but i I also don't believe that that should be the main goal right because that's also punitive that's also saying that the body itself the body that we have is not beautiful is not good enough right i love myself when i'm this size i love myself when i have these muscles i'll love myself when i'm able to do this with my body right but life enhancing movements with health at every size Allows ourselves to get comfortable with loving our body now, moving our body because we love the body that we have now, not because we hate the body that we have now. Right. And then there's this weird thing. Um, a lot of when I was researching Health at Every Size for this podcast, which I'm also going to link to a couple really great websites that um, defined it really well. So if you want to TLD, L too long didn't listen uh version. You can just go ahead and check out those websites. But you're already like in it, so <laughs> you can go ahead, you can check them out anyway. So um was all of these like articles saying that health at every size promotes quote unquote obesity. Oh my gosh, well oh, I can go on to such a rant. <sighs> okay, the, the narrative around obesity is so shaming and so blaming right? Especially during COVID, I really heard this a lot of like all these doctors saying that somehow you're more susceptible to COVID if you're obese. And maybe that's true. Maybe that has a true component in it, but it's the way that they were sharing this was so blaming saying that people who got COVID, it was their fault because they were quote-unquote obese. I heard so much of that during the pandemic and still hear so much of it now. Um, Like, I know Tony Robbins has said that. I don't know, like, don't quote me on it, but I've seen, like, him saying some, like, really fatphobic, gross stuff. Um, And then also, like, I don't think i too political, but a lot of the argument for not getting the vaccine was like, or like really opposing the vaccine because everyone has their own health choices, right? It's their own business. I I believe that. Um, But a lot of the rhetoric for not getting the vaccine was like, well, what? So we're just going to, like there was this weird tie of like, but obese people can stay obese. Like it was ridiculous. And it was so offensive and so fat phobic. Um, And I don't mean to like, dredge that up. I'm just saying, like, there's a lot of twisted, disgusting narratives around obesity. And those are just two of the ones I've seen come up a lot recently. But also, uh, well, I want to go into BMI, but yeah, let's, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Let's go into BMI, which is just bogus, bogus. I'm going to go into the history of BMI. And I'm also going to link a really great um, website that I used for some of this research that you can go check out yourself if you would like to. All right, so I might butcher the name of of the name I'm going to use, but the body mass index was invented nearly 200 years ago. So the person that created this was an academic and he studied astronomy, mathematics, statistics, and sociology. So no, he was not a physician, nor did he study medicine. And I think his name is Adolf Quintelet. I'm not going to say his name, (laughs) Um, but you can read the article too. So again, he was not a physician, and he did not study medicine, but he did create the BMI. So here's the thing about the BMI and its creation 200 years ago. It was never intended as a measure of individual body fat, build or health. So the BMI was never intended to be a measure of health. For its inventor, the BMI was a way of measuring populations. It was designed for the purpose of statistics, not health. And this was also 200 years ago. And it was also um, like his sample size was mostly white men, right, from a very specific part of the world. 200 years ago, and this was also in the peak of when science was really racist, like science was utilizing, or like racism more like was utilizing science, well, you know, science was just really incredibly racist, not that it's not now, but it was incredibly racist at that time. Um, Let's see, and just as a side note, Harvard Health has even stated, quote, people of plenty of people have high or low BMI and are healthy. And conversely, plenty of folks with a normal BMI are unhealthy. That is a quote from Harvard Health. So that also shows like Harvard is one of the the most respected research institutions in this country. And they also say that the BMI is not an indicator of health. So the BMI kind of went away for a little while because it was never supposed to be about health. But in the 50s and 60s, the BMI became or became more popular because physicians began to use insurers rating tables as a means of evaluating their patients' weight and health. And this reached its peak in the 50s and 60s, meaning that insurance companies would use the BMI to de- determine how much people would pay for their insurance. About 10 to 20 years later in the 1970s, medical science was on the hunt for a more effective measure of weight. And so a researcher named Ansel Keys and a cohort of other researchers conducted a study of 7,500 men from five different countries, mostly white countries, aiming to find um, a great measure of body fat that would both be easy and cost effective. So just like in the previous work, the subjects were drawn from predominantly white nations, along with Japan and South Africa. So they actually said in that study that even though they did focus on South Africa, they said, quote, that South Africa could not be suggested to be a representative sample of Bantu men in Cape province, let alone Bantu men in general. So most of their findings apply to all but the Bantu men. That is, Key's findings weren't representative of the very South African men included in the study. So whiteness took the center stage in this research. Uh, Yeah, so it was also white men, right? That's what the BMI is officially based off of. So in 1985, the National Institutes of Health, or the NIH, revised their definition of obesity to be tied to individual patients' BMI, even though the BMI was only researched on white men from five different countries, one of the countries in which was basically just thrown out because they didn't want to anymore, Um, even though the original BMI was never supposed to be an indicator of health, even though Harvard Health itself says that BMI is not... a Accurate way to look at health in general. Right. But all that research aside, in 1985, the NIH revised obesity to be tied to patients' BMI. Right. And also, BMI was like this is just something that someone made up. Right. Someone just made this up. But by 1998, the NIH once again changed their definitions of overweight and obese and lowered the threshold to be medically considered fat. This is a quote from CNN that said, Millions of Americans became fat Wednesday, even if they didn't gain a pound. So they just changed the threshold of who was overweight and who was obese, right? So they used this BMI scale that was never meant to be a health indicator. And then in the 70s, the research was just on five, four countries of white men. Um, and then they changed. the the threshold and lowered it so that all of a sudden we had an obesity epidemic overnight, not because people were suddenly obese or suddenly became obese, it was because they suddenly changed their definition of what obese was. So the article I'm referencing goes on um, to reference the endocrine society. And they said that the BMI overestimates fatness and health risks for Black people specifically. Meanwhile, the World Health Organization states that the BMI underestimates health risk for Asian communities, which may contribute to underdiagnoses of certain conditions. And despite the what's said to be like universal about the BMI, it covers there are so many differences between sex-based differences, right? Because women were not even included in the study of BMI. Oh, one thing that's super interesting is um, women weren't required to even be in any research studies until 1993, and still that's only with the NIH. So only the NIH, I think, um, requires women to be in research studies, and even then, um, this is information I got from Kristen Ciccolini, who was last week's guest um, in her podcast, The Lunar Body, which is so good. Um, She has a really great episode I'll link it. Um, It's about like science and how to look at science through the like lens of someone who is like a feminist perspective, I suppose. Um, Anyways, a decolonized perspective to look at research. (sighs) So (laughs) I'm going to go back to health at every size, um, but I just wanted to give you the full background of BMI, and that's probably not even the full background. Um, a lot of the information I am working off of comes from an article, The Bizarre and Racist History of the BMI by your fat friend. And your fat friend um also had an amazing episode with Jamila Jamil on the way podcast. So I will also link that episode in the show notes below. Um she's really awesome. And the iWay podcast is also just a really great resource um, for health as I began the journey of shifting my career to a job that aligned with my values and beliefs having an education and health coaching has been transformational Through the Institute of Integrative Nutrition, you can become a certified health coach to empower your relationship with food, health, and wellness, live your dreams, earn while you learn, and embark on a new path. Join the global community of like-minded change agents who are here to empower, inspire, and motivate you to create the life you've always dreamed of by clicking the link in the show notes. And by doing so, you'll receive $2,000 off tuition when you pay in full or $1,500 off tuition if you choose the payment plan option. Or you can mention my name, Samantha Nagel, spelled N-A-G-E-L. Discover how to take a holistic and nourishing approach to health and wellness today. So, what led us to going on the BMI rant was We were talking about obesity. Does health at every size lead to obesity? What I'm saying is, what even is obesity? Right? Obesity is a made-up term. It's a made-up construct. It's a made-up measurement because the BMI is completely bogus and made up as well. It's racist, fat phobic, sexist, um, and so many other things. Right? So when we talk about obesity, when we talk about being overweight, we have to ask ourselves. What is overweight? What is obese? Who taught me what weight is? And by the way, um, the podcast with Jamila Jamil also has some great ways to do this. Um, but just some general tips on how to maybe find a doctor or like work with a doctor because doctors perpetuate this. I remember one time I went in for a checkup and this was so deeply hurtful, obviously, cause I'm bringing it up. Um, this was two and a half years ago, um, right before the pandemic started in the U.S., and I went in for a checkup, and um, I had been going to this location for four years, and she looked at my chart, and she looked at me, and she said, oh, my God, did you know that you gained X amount of pounds in four years? And I was like, yes, (laughs) like, I do know that. I am in my body, right? Uh, No surprise there, Um, but she said it with, like, a deep shock, a deep disgust. And I don't know if she meant to, I don't think she meant to, I believe she's a nice person, but, um, you know, like the deep disgust that she had, that I had gained weight that much weight in four years shocked her. And she said, what happened? What happened? And I was so embarrassed. I was mortified. I felt like the feeling of wanting to cry and it, ha- it would have been one thing if she had brought this up, maybe in a kind way, maybe in a gentle way, like, hey, what's going on? I noticed this. Like, do you want to talk about it? Um, maybe that would have been appropriate, but she brought it up in a way that was so painful. Um, and she was saying like that I was bordering on obese and I'm not like one, obesity is okay. Two, obesity is made up. and But three, I, I just wasn't right? Like I felt healthy. I felt secure. I felt that I could do the things that I wanted to do in my life. I like felt healthy. I like wasn't mentally healthy and this didn't help, right? (laughs) Like the best way to help me was not through that. Um, Yeah, I was just so deeply hurt. And she was saying like, I needed to lose weight and that was the thing I need to focus on. And that was the whole focus of my checkup. I have gone in just for a checkup and that's actually honestly the last checkup I've done. So this is also some accountability that I need to schedule another one with a new practice. Um, but, but like, that's a really great example that she really hurt me and deeply offended me. Um, not offended, but like shamed me, right. For something that wasn't even wrong with me. Um, and then I didn't want to go to the doctor anymore because it was so deeply hurtful. Um, and I actually did end up calling the practice and being and saying what happened and, and having a formal complaint. And she called me and she apologized in like a really half-assed way. Like I didn't believe the apology was authentic at all. Um, and then COVID happened um and they weren't like understandably weren't as interested in that. They were more focused on, you know, what was happening, um, which is fine. But yeah. um, And that was just one time, right? Like some people go through that. Every doctor's visit, every, every person on social media, right? Like, it's just so deeply hurtful. That's on. I'm, I'm like having a hard time finding my words. Maybe I wasn't expecting to go down that path. Hmm, okay, where am I going now? <laughs> what I was going to say was some tips on advocating for yourself in the doctor's office. So first thing you can do is you can go to the health at every size website and you can find a provider that is health at every size aligned. So you can find a coach like me, who's health at every size aligned, but you can also find a doctor in your area or on telehealth that might be health at every size aligned. Um, But I also know that this isn't always something we can do, right? Like maybe like for example that place was at a free clinic or like free-ish um in my hometown or in my um university right so i didn't really want to change until i really had to um because it was free <laughs> or almost free uh, or you might be in a small town right and small towns sometimes don't have as much selections as you'd want or maybe you're limited by not everyone takes your insurance, or you don't have insurance and you need to find someone who is sliding scale that you can afford to work with, right? So finding someone who is health at every size aligned is a great first step, but if that's not possible and you have to see the provider you have, or you have to settle with someone who's not aligned, um, you can request to not be told your weight. So if you have to get weighed, you can close your eyes and say, I don't want you to tell me what I weigh, right? And you can also request not to be weighed. Um, the clinic that I go to now, um, I, said I, didn't, I haven't had a checkup, but I've had other things. Um, they just ask for my weight. Or they say, has your weight changed since you last came in? I just say no. Um, or I give them an estimate of my weight. But you can also say, um, I don't want to disclose my weight unless it's absolutely necessary. And sometimes you'll get pushed back. Sometimes you won't, right? Um, but that is a great boundary to set. And maybe even when you're calling ahead, the person at the front, um, perhaps you could say something like, just as a, can you put in my note that I don't want to be weighed when I come in? That might help you, help alleviate some of the stress of putting that boundary up before you get there. Um, So I'm going to switch gears a little bit and talk more about health at every size and why it's actually scientifically proven to be really great. (laughs) To be really great. Um, So in one study, which is also linked in the show notes, when comparing a health at every size or weight neutral group to a dieting group, the finding states, quote, the health at every size group also demonstrated a parallel improvement in self-esteem and 100% of participants reported that their involvement in the program helped them feel better about themselves compared with 47% of the diet group. It goes on to say, the diet group, on the other hand, demonstrated initial improvement, followed by a significant worsening of self-esteem and follow-up. This damage to self-esteem was reinforced in other of the self-evaluation questions. For example, 53% of participants in the diet group expressed feelings of failure compared with 0% of health at every size participants, end quote. Oh my goodness. I mean, isn't that amazing? 53, so over half, a little over half of the group expressed feelings of failure, and literally none of the health at every size group expressed feelings of failure. I mean, isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful enough to focus on health at every size, right? If you didn't have to focus on feelings of failure. I mean, that's so beautiful. And 100%, all the participants in that group reported that their involvement in the program helped them feel better about themselves. And a little less than half of the other group reported feeling better about themselves, right? That is so huge and so, so profound, isn't it? And so heartbreaking, too, because so much of us do focus on, um, sorry, do focus on dieting and do focus on restriction and do focus on, focus on punishment. But the Health at Every Size group, all of them had improvements in the way that they felt about themselves. Oh my god! I just want to cry. That's so beautiful, and I—I I, it's so unfortunate that more people aren't taught this. <sighs> All right, so I am going to talk a little about a bit about eating intuitively. I stumbled on my words there. Oh, and a lot of this information on health at every size is taken from the health at every size website, as well as Colleen, Chris, Kristen, Kristinise nutrition.com. Uh, and she has an article called H A E S explained. And it's also linked in the show notes. Um, she seems like an awesome person. I don't know anything else about her, but I loved her approach to this article. But like I said, um, intuitive eating is a lot about eating, um, Based on your body cues, knowing your hunger cues, and also being able to kind of determine what would be good for your body type. So, the last episode with Kristen Ciccolini that came out last week is so great for this. She does dive into intuitive eating as well as some cyclical stuff. Um, But she has a such a great episode or a podcast called the Lunar Body Podcast. And it's so amazing. She has A couple that I always recommend to clients. Um, There's Eating as a Spiritual Practice and Easing Fears Around Food. Those are two of the best um, intuitive eating episodes I could recommend. There's also the intuitive eating book that Kristen recommended last week as well. Um, So after you've dived into those, dove into those resources, a couple other ones that might be good um, are meditation, right? So just starting to learn how to tap into your body, how to honor your body, how to see what's going on in your body. And this is also something that Kristen had recommended, which is keeping a log of what you ate, not the calories, nothing like that, but just logging what you ate and then how it made you feel, or even what you were feeling, what you ate and what you felt afterwards that's a great first step to intuitive eating is just having awareness. And soon you're going to start to notice patterns. Oh, when I eat this thing, I feel gassy and bloated and too full and heavy and like greasy. I don't really like that feeling. I feel sluggish or tired or fatigued after eating this one thing. But when I eat this thing, I feel energized and I felt social and I felt clear headed and I felt focused and productive, right? Um, so if we can start to bring awareness to what we eat and how it makes us feel with the with the lens of just learning, right? So letting ourselves release some of the shame around that, right? Um, another great thing that we can do is honor our needs in things that aren't just food right so this is a practice I learned from Marley Liss she did this really cool um free training on um like self-pleasure and um reclamation after sexual assault on valentine's day it was really cool she did it with I am and power um you can find them on instagram as well um but just carving out time and then asking yourself what, it, what you need and or what you want to do, right? So being like, oh, I want to take a nap. I need to lay down. I need a snack. So if you can start to identify your needs and your wants in other areas of your life, it will become easier to do this with food as well. Um, these, these are just some of the ways that we can do this. There are so many other ways. To eat intuitively. And if you do work with me one on one, that's something that we do dive into a lot. And then I want to end by talking about stress management, right? Um, and I'm actually going to be pulling from um, the book Happy Days by Gabby Bernstein. I'm going to be reading a little bit from chapter four. Let me get this pulled up. So on page 72 of the text version or the in person version, in person, the printed version. <laughs> She's talking about how she had um, intestinal issues, but she was eating really well and she was kind of confused. Um, and she put quote, I had to assume a zero stress tolerance. Stress was no longer an option. When you're stressed, your gut motility, AKA the stretching and contraction of the muscles in the gastrointestinal intestinal tract slows down, causing myriad gastrointestinal issues. My goodness, I can't talk today. She went on to say, I came to accept that I didn't have a gut problem. I had a subconscious emotional problem. On page 74, she quotes Louise Hay and Dr. Sarno saying, quote, physical pain derives from impermissible, my goodness, impermissible rage, fear, and unresolved emotional distress. Dr. Sarno believed that the brain would use physical pain as a way to distract us from otherwise facing our deep-rooted unconscious emotions, unquote. Right, and she also says a little bit later, note that Dr. Sarno would always encourage patients to seek medical care and treatment. So she's not saying that um, all physical pain derives from emotions. She's not dismissing any kind of physical pain or physical disorder as just being emotional, um, but more acknowledging that some things are psychosomatic. And this is one of my favorite excerpts. is on page 76 under (laughs) sympathetic overdrive. I can't talk today. Um, She goes on to say, The opposite of parasympathetic state is known as sympathetic arousal. When your sympathetic nervous system is activated, your stomach tightens. The motility of the GI system is inhibited and digestion slows down. In addition to other physical symptoms of inflammation and pain, energy is cut off for metabolic digestion because the body allocates resources towards your heart and muscles, increasing blood pressure, heart rate, and respiration to fight or flee. She goes on to say later, a chronic state of hyperarousal taxes the vagus nerve, which is meant to regulate the parasympathetic nervous system. When you get into this state, your heart can drop, you can become faint, and the muscles in your gut contract, leading to symptoms such as diarrhea, bloating, cramps, spasms, and other forms of gut issues. Other symptoms could include anxiety, panic attack, nervousness, insomnia, breathlessness, palpitations, inability to relax or focus, jitters gastrointestinal intestinal is, <laughs> issues, intense fear, physical pain, and more. So wonderful. And then on page 79, she says, instead of being distracted by my body and physical pain and ignoring my inner emotional landscape, I can now take my body's cues as direction to turn inward and look for emotional disturbances that need tending to. Isn't that so beautiful? And lastly, what I'll be quoting is, on page 80, what we focus on, we create more of. Therefore, if we redirect our focus off of our body and into shifting our perception, we can experience great relief. The first step to healing the body is to shine light on the mind-body connection. And the reason I wanted to read so much of that to you is because I think she words it beautifully. And also I read it yesterday, (laughs) that was fresh on my mind. Um, That was Happy Days, the book by Gabby Bernstein or Gabrielle Bernstein. But it also highlights two things, which is one, stress can cause so many issues in the body. So sometimes we need to focus on reducing stress And also looking at our stress when we are having issues in the body. But then number two, we don't need to purposefully introduce stress when we are trying to become healthy. So, so much of dieting, counting calories, weighing ourselves daily or weekly or whatever causes stress. We do these things in a stressed out mind space. We stress ourselves out when we count our calories, when we ignore our body's needs and what it's asking for, what it does and doesn't like and doesn't want, when we push our body's movement past what is comfortable, or accessible for us in the moment, when we are so stressed out about what we're eating, when we're stressed about every time we look down at the scale, right? When we're stressed about looking a certain way, we're introducing stress to the body and we can see how damaging that is to the body, right? Gabby Bernstein is not the first person to come up with this. She's quoting a lot of people and citing a lot of people in her book, but that summarizes it so nicely. So I I know I just gave you a lot of information about what health at every size is based off of the racist and fat phobic and sexist roots of the BMI and how it's basically bogus. A little um, emotional rant about doctor's offices, Um, I hope, and also intuitive eating, and stress in the body, and the mind-body connection. So I hope all this information, while being maybe a little bit all over the place, or not all over the place, but like a little over the place, um, was helpful, right? I hope this was able to reframe the way that you think about your body, the way that you think about Being overweight or obese, because that's really something that someone made up. The way that you feel about yourself when you go into the doctor's office, maybe giving you some ideas of how you can advocate for yourself if it feels accessible to you. Ideas on how to start eating for your body, not eating in a way that is punitive or to look a certain way, but how to live and move and eat in a way that makes you feel good. And also just wanting to really reiterate that health is more than just physical health. It's more than the way that we look. It's also mental health and emotional health and spiritual health even, but it doesn't have to be, right? Our mental and emotional health are not secondary to our physical health and how we're eating and what we're moving. No, it's just as important just as important. It's 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 still health, right? And if we're making ourselves mentally or emotionally unhealthy in order to become physically, quote unquote, healthy, right? That's still not achieving health. So I hope you found this informative and loving and educational and maybe perspective shifting. Thanks for listening all the way through. I'm sending you so much love. And if you have any questions, please let me know and I can try and answer them. Um, And there are also more guests upcoming that are experts on this field, which I'm really excited to um, share them with you. All right, thank you so much. Bye-bye.